Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha, everyone. I am so excited today to have Dr. Eben Alexander here, someone I have admired for many years. And I'm so thrilled that you get to uh, actually be person to person with him. So welcome, Dr. Alexander. Well, Emily, thanks so much for having me on. It's great being here with you. Oh, that's so, so wonderful. Uh, I can tell you why I'm so excited. I grew up kind of thinking that there was more to life than I could see or that, that I understood. And I worked my way through college being a, a licensed vocational nurse and learned to look at things in a, kind of a, that black and white medical perspective, you know, that it's, right. you're either sick or you're well or that sort of thing. And that seemed to make sense to me, but it didn't make sense with the, the whole big picture. So, by the time I read your book, I had my husband had died, and my new husband was a religious science minister, and I learned a lot from him about living in the moment and that sort of thing. And he had told me about how everything's energy, and we're we're all part of one big whole. And I thought, okay, <laughs> but it wasn't until I read your book, The Proof of Heaven, that I started understanding the concept of we're more than this. So I'm, I'm just delighted to have you here. I think that this is a great book for people who listen to my podcast and follow my work with finding happiness when they're grieving. I think it could be a great help to them. So I, I hope you'll all read it. And I'm just happy to hear from you. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that you found it, uh, found it helpful and I will say the feedback that I've received, uh, you know, over the almost 10 years that it's been out there has been very positive around that kind of issue, that it helps people awaken to being more than just, you know, birth to death and one physical incarnation. And of course, the worst of it is uh, if you fully buy into the materialist, reductive materialist uh, scientific viewpoint, the conventional viewpoint, they will then insist that you have no free will. That it's mm -hmm. all chemical reactions, electron fluxes in the brain, nothing more. And it's it's a ridiculous uh, position. It's bleak and paltry, and it's a fiction that has nothing to do with the deeper reality that you know science is now showing around consciousness and, and the nature of our existence. So uh, I think Proof of Heaven was a very good first step in that. It, you know, millions of people read that book and realized that the materialist model that our modern society foists upon them has been disproven scientifically, you know, over decades. So uh, we really need to grow up and kind of get with the science, get with the empirical data and realize that science and spirituality strengthen each other tremendously. I think that was one of the biggest mistakes of materialism is kind of missing the kind of interconnection uh, that is being revealed, uh, you know, the kind of one mind notion that we're sharing kind of that God consciousness. And uh, it's it's a very liberating and refreshing viewpoint. And I think a lot of people got it out of proof of heaven. 
even though truth be told, I would say the true proof of heaven is really in the third book and living in a mindful universe where co-written with my co-part with my partner, Karen Newell, but living in a mindful universe goes light years further than proof of heaven. Oh, good. You have it right there. Yeah. Uh, in terms book. of elaborating this argument, and it's been fully endorsed by some of the global leaders in, in modern consciousness studies. So it's a very uh, powerful attempt to kind of synthesize and, and bring into a natural alignment uh, this kind of emerging knowledge of who we are and how this all works. But it's one that fully uh, embraces the primacy of consciousness and the fact that we as sentient beings have the will to alter the course of this universe. And that's what we're here to do. Yes. It's so uh, so poignant for me. I, I was just thinking of when I was in nursing training, I was in ICU at one time and we were taking care of a young man who had jumped off of a balcony thinking he was going to get into the swimming pool and he didn't. He hit oh. his head straight down from a couple stories up and oh. they they just they told his family there's no way that he would recover. He had too much brain damage and that they were just waiting and trying to get him to pull the plug and that sort of a thing. Uh-huh. And I met him a couple of weeks later on a regular ward on, uh, in the hospital. <laughs> and he said, I heard them say all those things to me about <laughs> how I wasn't going to make it and how there's no way that I could survive. And that, that was really a powerful experience for me. He was already yeah. <laughs> showing consciousness exists independently of the body. I mean, it really shocks some people. And yet the scientific evidence is absolutely overwhelming. And that's a lot of what we go into in living in a mindful universe to try and make this case, you know, for idealism, the notion that the mental layer of the universe actually has tremendous uh, kind of power to control all of our emergent reality. And ultimately, as my partner Karen would remind us, it's not mind over matter, it's spirit over matter. Ultimately, it's that one mind, that connectedness we share, that binding force of love, compassion, kindness, uh, mercy, and acceptance uh, that is the uh, kind of glue that holds us all together. And that's where a lot of this is really becoming very exciting. It, it really is. I, I can remember feeling, I guess I'd call it hollow before I, I realized all this, that uh -huh. I, I was living a, a life of if only, you know, if, if only I did this or if only I could get that, then then I'd understand everything and everything would be okay. And every time one of the if onlys came through, I, I thought, okay, it must be another if only I do this, searching, a, a constant searching. That's where I think this, this can be so powerful and so helpful. And, and certainly uh, uh, when I talk about this kind of awakening and understanding, it also involves a dedicated practice of going within, centering prayer, meditation, whatever your way is of confronting that little ego voice, you know, the mm -hmm. little voice in our head. So many people identify, they say, that's who I am, is that running stream of thoughts in my head. And I love how Michael Singer in his book, The Untethered Soul, he calls that the annoying roommate. <laughs> and yes, that is true. And so the first task in meditation or in centering prayer is to quiet that little voice of anxiety and fear of the ego mind uh, and realize that we're much more than this. And that's where we can connect with primordial consciousness across the veil and really start to live our lives. But it's uh, with a much grander uh, kind of view of what our potential is to influence this world. Oh, yeah. And, and Untethered Soul is such a great book and, and kind of explaining all that and, and easing you into it. 
I, I yes. love that. Yeah, he does a fantastic job. And it's, you know, the more we realize we're all in this together, and that's one of the deepest and most profound lessons of near-death experiences, uh, coming from the life review, you know, the life review where your life flashed before your eyes. Well, when you talk to thousands and thousands of people who've been through that, you start to discern this uh, beautiful tapestry of where they're reliving events of their lives, not just remembering them. And not only that, they're experiencing them through the uh, lens of the emotional perspective of those around them who were affected by their thoughts and actions. So it's a beautiful example of how the boundaries of self in many ways are a fiction and that we're truly all in this together. To hurt another is to hurt oneself. And the life review is a beautiful example of the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated, being written into the very fabric of the universe. Absolutely. I so I just wrote something on my blog that had to do with what I call the platinum rule, <laughs> that you want to treat them, treat everybody else much better than you, you think you'd like to be yourself. And then that comes back to you because you're living from that elevated space. It, it does. It, and it works beautifully. And uh, I must say this, my experience and uh, all of my scientific work and, and also work with um, hundreds of other experiencers over the uh, you know 13 years since I had my NDE has just helped me to uh, affirm the, this notion of how we're all in this together. And it's really about the higher good. And the more we can bring that love for the, for the universe has for us through our hearts and manifest it uh, as love for others, that's the best way to receive that loving energy from, from the universe at large and uh, to share that love with others. And this is where we can come into true wholeness and healing. That's true. And uh, you mentioned NDE. For those who aren't aware of that, it's a near-death experience. For the listeners who don't know about you and what your experience was, can you tell us some? Yes, uh, very briefly. Uh, of course, this is all described in detail in the book Proof of Heaven. And then a lot of the sequential events are described in the book Living in a Mind for Universe. So, But the, the nuts and bolts of it, I was 54 years old, uh, honing a very kind of uh, conventional, reductive materialist uh, neuroscientific worldview. I was teaching neurosurgery, and I had spent more than 15 years doing so at Harvard Medical School and other institutions. And then I went into coma very suddenly, November 10th, 2008, over hours deep into coma. And uh, uh, I spent seven days in that coma and was put on three powerful intravenous antibiotics. At the beginning of the week, doctors estimated 10% chance of survival. But when I wasn't showing any true signs of improvement after seven days, they thought I was down to a 2% chance of survival with no chance of recovery. And that's why they recommended stopping the antibiotics. And it was a few hours later that I came back to this world. But when I did, my brain was absolutely wrecked. And all I knew was where I had just been, this extraordinary spiritual journey that I describe in, in Proof of Heaven. In fact, my brain was still so addled, I did not even recognize loved ones at the bedside when I woke up. My mother, my sisters, my uh, sons had no idea who these beings were, but that knowledge and memory came back over hours and days. Uh, in fact, all of my memories came back over about two months, but the rich experience that I remembered when I first woke up, it's as pure in my mind now as it was back then. It was uh, three uh, main levels that I visited, uh, and important to point out, 
one of the atypical features of my, my near-death experience was that I was amnesic, that I had no memory of the life of Eben Alexander. I had no words, no language, no knowledge of Earth or this universe. It was truly an empty slate. And I think that was important for many of the lessons that I was to glean from this journey. Now, in that very amnesic state, it started in the earthworm's eye view, a primitive course, kind of subterranean unresponsive realm, but I was rescued from that by a slowly spinning white light that came packaged with a perfect musical melody. And that light ushered me up out of this ugly earthworm eye view realm into a brilliant ultra real gateway valley. And that had many earth-like features. Uh, I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing. There was a beautiful forest and meadow down below us, all very perfect, no signs of any death or decay a very rich sense of the fertile nature of this with buds and blossoms, flowers, everything is opening richly in this environment. There were thousands of beings dancing down below. When I wrote it all up weeks later, I said there were souls between lives. And on this butterfly wing spiraling above this beautiful scenery, there was this uh, spiritual guide, a beautiful uh, young woman. And of course, those who've read Proof of Heaven will realize what a crucial role she played. But her message to me came to my mind telepathically. And it was very reassuring and affirming and loving. And the message, which I then wrote as words many weeks later, you are deeply loved and cherished forever. You have nothing to fear. You are cared for. And I cannot tell you what, what a joy that was to receive at that time. I remember this uh, brisk awareness of us of a soft summer breeze that blew through and changed my awareness of everything because that breeze, which I labeled in my writings, I called it the divine wind or the breath of God. That was my knowledge of the uh, uh, kind of infinite power of that, that healing, loving force, that God force that so many have encountered on these kind of journeys going back thousands of years. And I, I realized in coming back here, it doesn't matter if you want to call it God or Allah, or Brahman or Vishnu or Jehovah, Yahweh, they're a great spirit. They're, they're all referring to the same force of healing and wholeness and love and compassion and mercy and kindness, uh, which is the governing rule of this universe. That's the ambience of that level. Now, it turns out that that gateway valley was only a gateway and that, in fact, above fueling all the joy and merriment that I was seeing, all the festivities in this uh, gateway valley, were these uh, angelic choirs above that were emanating chants and anthems and hymns that would just thunder through my awareness. And they provided yet another musical portal up into higher and higher levels. And I remember seeing all of four-dimensional space-time collapsing down, all of the spiritual realm and uh, kind of it's a, a deeper integration through what I call deep time, which is a different causal ordering of things. But it helps to explain how the fundamental rules of, of love and relationship and of loved ones being there when, when, when one passes over, all of that kind of thing is organized through that deep time. So you don't have any of the paradoxes where loved ones would not be available, for example, if they'd already reincarnated or something like that. But anyway, getting back to the story, it, uh, that angelic choir portal provided yet an, another means up, and that was up into what I call the core infinite inky blackness, but filled to overflowing with that divine and healing God force of pure love. And I was told, we'll teach you many things. You'll be going back. You're not here to stay. Of course, not in any kind of words, but in conceptual flow. And then lessons. And the thing is, I would fall back down to that earthworm eye view. 
Um, and then I, I learned by remembering the musical notes, the melody, I could conjure up that portal that led up into the Gateway Valley. And then everything naturally, that beautiful guardian angel and her message, very reaffirming. That happened every time I passed through there. And many of the lessons taught there, that's kind of the realm where we reunite with higher souls uh, and with souls of departed loved ones, go through life reviews, plan next incarnations, all of that. But then the core realm was even beyond that. And all of the understanding of it is something that's taken me the 13 plus years since coma to kind of unpack. And I use meditation. I use especially uh, a form of differential frequency brainwave entrainment audio meditation known as sacred acoustics and people can learn more at sacredacoustics.com but i meditate an hour to a day i've been doing that more than a decade and that has been work to not just recover memories of my nde but to more fully develop relationships uh, with the various forces entities and guides that are available in that realm so uh, meditation going within is absolutely key uh, but that, in a nutshell, is is kind of the experience I went through uh, back in November of 2008. That's so amazing. Just reading it, I could you can feel it, feel what was going on with you the whole time. It, it's so powerful. And one of the things that I, I really liked about that is how your son had mentioned when, when you said you wanted to, once you were with it again, that you, you wanted to read all about it. And he said, no, write your story first so that you're not yeah. influenced by anybody else. I would say both of my sons were absolutely crucial in everything about my journey and my return to this world and my interpretation of it. Of course, Bond, the younger one, was really kind of the reason I came back to this world. He was one of the six faces I saw at the very end of my coma and it was my sense of a deep connection with him that led me back to this world, even though at the time I did not have any human memory of him as a son. But Evan IV, as you're pointing out, Evan was majoring in neuroscience in college at the time. He knew that memories can change every time you revisit them. And uh, he knew that uh, the only uh, responsible thing to do with my experience was to write down everything I could remember but before I read anything about near-death experiences, I'd never paid any real attention to that literature. Uh, I knew those cases were out there. In fact, I had my own patients trying to tell me of their own uh, journeys. And I would just say, oh, yeah, that's impossible because we know the brain creates consciousness. So forget about it. But I came to a much richer realization. And thanks to my son, that's what I did. I wrote about 20,000 words over five to six weeks. And only then did I dive deeply into that NDE literature. And that's when I started discovering this incredible overlap of so much of what I'd experienced. And you really have to go beyond just the, the kind of reported details, because as everybody agrees, those experiences are ineffable. They cannot be put into our earthly language. And that's because our language is very good describing a trip to Disney World, but not so good about these kind of journeys. And the reason for that is that our modes of knowing uh, on these journeys are far richer and more expanded than what we have here in these bodies. In these bodies, our eyes, our ears, our brains, uh, these all serve as filters to reduce information down to this tiny trickle of what is necessary to be alive in the here and now as a physical being. And yet the richness of it is to realize 
that there's so much more to that mental space and that we can explore that and go far beyond it. And it's not being created between our ears in this three and a half pound gelatinous mass floating in a warm, dark bath. That's, you know, the brain is uh, simply a filter that allows expression of this primordial consciousness. And that is something that can be tremendously empowering as we start to realize it uh, in our lives. It's so much. I, I was uh, reading too about the consciousness and and the whole theory behind that. What what people think or believe that that is, and uh, it's pretty amazing. Can you explain consciousness to our listeners? Yeah, I think first of all, you you have to get into definitions pretty early on because everybody's throwing terms around with wildly different definitions. And in general, I tend to be much more of a lumper than a splitter. Uh, I think the more we split things out and define things, the more we're fooling ourselves into a false sense of understanding. But consciousness is nothing more than the awareness of existence. So, you know, as Rene Descartes said, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. Well, I wish he had expanded on that very slightly and simply said, I am aware of thoughts. And that awareness means I exist because the thoughts themselves are not what proves we exist. It's our awareness of them. And that's the part that actually expands uh, when we die, when we leave the physical body and brain. And that's one of the most shocking things. But most NDEers will describe the experience as much more real than what they've experienced in these bodies living in the material realm. And so that consciousness is that awareness. A few important things to point out. We have our conscious awareness of what we're aware of in the moment. And then that also has access to memories of other awarenesses going off into the past. Important to point out, there is also a very uh, definite uh, role for the the unconscious mind. Uh, That is, there's a level of kind of conscious awareness that we're not always aware of in that moment. And yet it contributes tremendously to all of what evolves in the conscious awareness. And then there's a third compartment of all this, and that is the primordial mind, the collective unconscious that Carl Jung referred to. Uh, I would say it's kind of like an information field. Uh, I've heard it referred to often in modern terms as the quantum hologram, which would be the same thing as some people mentioned with Akashic records. It's basically the notion of all potential phenomenal experiences that sentient beings could have. And that repertoire is gigantic indeed. And yet uh, what we find is that uh, in exploring consciousness, one can delve across the veil and come in touch with that primordial mind with a much richer sense of of conscious awareness going far beyond the here and now of our physical bodies. In our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, we go into great detail about this kind of consilience. Uh, of information. So it's it's not in talking about primacy of consciousness and the many arguments to support it. You start with something like quantum physics, which for a hundred years has been screaming at us that consciousness is fundamental in the universe, even though many quantum physicists today still don't quite get that. But people who work in consciousness studies see quite clearly how uh, quantum physics allows for this primacy of consciousness. 
Uh, but then you've got many other lines like uh, the apparent unity of consciousness within an individual and the philosophy of mind, that binding issue uh, is something that's very hard to explain from a materialist, you know, many neuronal population network perspective. But if you realize that the brain is only filtering in and allowing consciousness, a primordial consciousness, then you see easily how that unification is already present. Uh, and then you've got things like uh, the evidence for non-local consciousness, all the evidence in uh, the field of parapsychology, that which has been scientifically validated. Things like remote viewing, out-of-body experiences, uh, precognition, pre-sentiment, distance healing, uh, power of prayer, uh, near-death experiences, shared death experiences, which are just like near-death in terms of their qualities, but they happen in perfectly healthy people, often the bystander soul of someone who is losing a loved one. And as that uh, loved one dies, their soul can take the bystander soul along, even to the point of witnessing a full-blown life review before that bystander soul comes back to this world. And there are beautiful books uh, on the shared death experience, uh, Glimpses of Eternity by Raymond Moody is the introductory book about it. More recently, William Peters' book a few months ago, uh, which is entitled, I think it's The Door to Heaven or At Heaven's Door, I guess that's what it's called. Anyway, but all of these lines of evidence kind of converge to support this much bigger view uh, of consciousness and of the power we have as individual sentient beings to influence our emerging reality. Absolutely fascinating. I uh, Now here on the island, we have a, a, I guess it's a chapter of the group uh, on NDE, all right. Ions, yeah. Ions, yeah, they have an Ions chapter here. Right, uh-huh. And they have, uh, at their meetings, that they have a like a pre-meeting where people who have actually had a, a near-death experience can get together and talk about it. And then, then they have the meeting after that with whatever program they're going to have. So there's so much out there about this. It's kind of hard to not pay attention to it. Right. Well, there, there is a tremendous amount. You're exactly right. Uh, I can highly recommend IANDS, I-A-N-D-S dot org. That's the international organization, but there are many local chapters all over the world, and they're a beautiful resource. Plus, you can just uh, tell your own story. I mean, the IANDS.org website is a beautiful repository to share individual stories and to study them scientifically. Now, important to point out for your audience uh, on this topic there was a contest held last year by Bigelow uh, Institute. Uh, Robert Bigelow, the uh, aerospace entrepreneur in Las Vegas, put up $1.8 million in prize money. And the question they asked, what is the best scientific evidence for the uh, continu continuation of consciousness beyond permanent bodily death? They received more than 1,000 uh, applications from people who wanted to participate. They then demanded that you demonstrate at least five years of rigorous academic interest in the field of afterlife studies. That led to 204 submissions. And of those 204, there were 29 prize-winning essays, all of which are available for free to the public right now at bigelowinstitute.org. And if you just start with the very first one, the winning entry by Dr. Jeffrey Mishlov, 
who has studied this field for more than 50 years, you'll start to realize the extraordinary quality uh, of these papers proving the reality not only of the afterlife, but of reincarnation. And we just need scientifically, philosophically, we just need more mature and applicable models of the mind-brain relationship and our understanding of the nature of reality uh, to move forward. But to simply deny the evidence and say none of this is true, it's all dreams and hallucinations, is to deny the facts that are being presented. You start reading those papers at BigelowInstitute.org and you will never come away doubting the reality of soul continuity beyond the death of the physical body. It's an absolute fact of life, scientifically validated for the modern audience. Wow, I didn't know that that existed. And I've got some reading to do. <laughs> it sounds absolutely well, fascinating. fascinating reading. And each of those 29 papers takes a different uh, tack to solving this issue. And so together, they are an absolutely undeniable bastion of information supporting the reality of primacy of consciousness, a philosophical position that I think goes beyond mere idealism. You know, in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, we make a very strong argument for objective idealism. That is that the mental layer of the universe is that from which all of the physical universe emerges. And I would say once you get beyond, uh, you know, some definitions of consciousness and God, you realize that the philosophical position we're arguing is really very much aligned with um, what's known as evolutionary panentheism. That's just the notion that the God force of that one mind that I talk about that so many indie ears are very familiar with because they basked in the warmth of that one mind, that that is the reality that we face. That is how we can further enhance our ability as sentient beings to influence this emerging reality. Uh, a very different story from the bleak and paltry fiction of materialism, which pretends that we don't even have free will that it's all just chemical reactions, electron fluxes in the brain, giving us an illusion of self-awareness, and they dismiss any notion that we have free will as sentient beings, which I think is the exact opposite of where this current revolution in science is leading. That's, it's so wonderful, you know, that, that in a way it's like a, a waking up that a lot of people over the years have believed something like this, but didn't necessarily say anything about it. But right. Now we people want proof, they want evidence, and it seems like this is the proof and evidence that they, they were is. looking and for. And it's very, very strong. I mean, <laughs> you read those essays, even just reading the first one by Jeffrey Mishlov, you come away going, my gosh, how have we been so misled by these people? And basically it's because, you know, the, the mainstream media and the science journalists are not paying attention to the leading edges of science. And then you have the, the occasional materialist scientist who pretends he can say, oh, this is all nonsense. It's hallucinations. We know this because this is all impossible according to our models. Well, guess what? They have not done their homework and they are willfully ignorant of the literature uh, that proves them completely wrong. And sadly, most of our science journalists do not have the courage or the intellectual ability to interpret all this to take it to the next level. And they continue to default to some of these materialist talking heads who have no idea what they're talking about. Yes, I'm sure that that's, that's absolutely true. 
we tend to get stuck in in one direction. It has to do, I think, a lot with beliefs as opposed to being open to what is. Well, that's that's true. I think, uh, and our beliefs is, uh, I, I love it. In our book, Living Mind for Universe, we have a quote uh, from Henry Ford. And that quote is something like, uh, there are two kinds of people in the world, those who uh, believe they can and those who believe they cannot. And both are right. And the point we're making there is beliefs have tremendous power. And we can fool ourselves into not believing what is true as much as we can fool ourselves into believing something true that's not. But the fact of the matter is the evidence, when you start to study it, uh, points very decidedly in the direction of this primacy of consciousness and the primacy of, of the mental layer of the universe and free will and sentient beings being absolutely real, and that it its most primary manifestation is in our health and healing, becoming more whole. You know, we've known in medicine for more than six decades, placebo effect is kind of the gold standard for any new treatment. And placebo effect is nothing more than an admission by medical science that beliefs, thoughts, and attitudes play a tremendous role in any kind of healing that we, we might have. But it goes far beyond just a sugar pill for a headache. You go to noetic.org, uh, Institute of Noetic Sciences website, put in the search term spontaneous remission. You'll find a book uh, they published in the mid-1990s uh, that's out of print now, but you can download the whole thing legally for free from their site. And they're now updating the database, which would be 30 more years of data. That's wow. going to be incredible to get that out there. But the original database is profound in its own way for showing people healing cancer, healing advanced infections, all in ways that go beyond any medical treatment that they received to miraculous healing. And then, of course, you have that whole field of miraculous healing and near-death experiences. Cases like mine, which are irrefutable examples of what in modern medicine we have to label as a miracle because we don't have other cases like this. Uh, and yet in the world of NDEs, you often have miraculous healing, uh, like Anita Morjani healing from her uh, stage four uh, lymphoma, or Dr. Mary C. Neal, who had a over 30 minute warm water drowning accident kayaking in Chile in the late 1990s. They've both written books about their experiences, uh, just like my experience, um, you know, as I described in Proof of Heaven. Uh, that really is a medical case that doesn't match up to any other cases in the medical literature. And then the medical case report written about my case 10 years after my coma by three doctors who were not involved in my care. And that case report came out in September 2018 in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases. And uh, that case report makes it very clear that my brain was far too ill to have any kind of dream or hallucination. My neocortex was completely socked in with a meningoencephalitis involving a very aggressive primitive bacteria, E. coli. So not only does the case report make clear that my brain could not have put together any kind of meaningful hallucination or, or dream, but also that my recovery must be classified as so exceptional as to be like a medical miracle. They don't use the word miracle. They have to use words like, you know, the psychoneuroimmunology and things like that in referring to some influence of my mind over matter and the immune system to make this happen. But really, uh, we don't have any idea how it all works, but it defies our typical kind of medical explanations of causal relationships in, in biological systems. Wow. This is such 
powerful interview. I'm so glad that you're you're saying all this so that, that I'm sure that this is going to reach a different audience than you've reached before. Well, and, good. I hope so. That would yeah. be wonderful. We want to get it out to the world at large. The more people know, the more they can have better experiences themselves, the more they can consider the spontaneous healing. Well, I think that's very true. And I can, uh, Karen and I have heard from you know hundreds of people over a decade, if not thousands, uh, kind of affirming uh, this. And, and many people have had their own experiences, so they share them with me uh, because I've gone public with my own. And I think it's important to point out that um, Proof of Heaven really resonated with many, many people. It was on the New York Times bestseller list as a nonfiction bestseller uh, for almost two years, uh, 42 weeks. It was the number one uh, nonfiction New York Times bestseller. It's been published in more than 40 languages around the world. And from my point of view, it just shows a resonance with people. Many people, it reminds them of their own experience. And so they get in touch with me to, to share some of those commonalities and kind of that richness. And I think that that's, that's important to get out there is this is all about something that's available to all of us. Uh, this is why power of prayer is so important in meditation, because uh, Karen and I, in our workshops, we make it very clear to people that you don't have to have an NDE to come into all the healing power of NDEs. All you have to do is start exploring your own mind through meditation, prayer, those modalities. Uh, start having a much uh, more loving uh, and synthesized version of yourself with the universe, and things start to change for the better. Uh, a lot of that is material that we cover in Living in Mindful Universe, which, from my point of view, is much more of a proof of heaven than the original book, Proof of Heaven. In my mind, that book is a little bit more of a question mark, because when I wrote that, I really had no idea where all this was going. I didn't realize the extremely powerful scientific backing for a lot of the realities I was coming into in, in, in writing those books. Uh, but Living in a Mindful Universe is really the continuation of the Proof of Heaven story. It's the sequel in terms of many more uh, of the facts uh, about my life since then. For example, people often ask, what do your, what do your uh, skeptical medical colleagues make of all this? Well, truth be told, it was a few months after my coma because the whole medical center, the medical community in Lynchburg was so fascinated by my recovery, they invited me to give a talk to the county medical society. So more than 120 doctors, their spouses, many other people attended a dinner presentation I gave on my experience. That's what my skeptical medical colleagues did was invite me to tell them much more about it because they wanted to understand much more of how it happened. And of course, that was just the beginning. I've had tremendous support from doctors, scientists, physicists, engineers, chemists, uh, nurses, uh, all kinds of uh, scientific minds who have been very grateful for the stories in Proof of Heaven, the Map of Heaven, and Living in a Mindful Universe, because it tells them something they sensed was true, that much deeper sense of, of connection with the universe, of some form of a loving, powerful, healing God force. Uh, and that we're all in this together, that we really need to take care of each other. And that's a very different message than what the conventional uh, materialist mindset of reductive materialism, where everything is viewed as separate from everything else. Uh, it can be very, very misleading. You know, a quantum informed science of consciousness is exactly where I'm headed with all this as is the Galileo Commission, galileocommission.org, the Scientific and Medical Network, 
uh, SCIMEDnetwork.org, uh, and other uh, very advanced uh, scientific groups around the world uh, who are studying these uh, phenomena. That's so wonderful. We can put those all those URLs in our show notes so that people can easily check them out because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who want to know more once they, they hear you because you, you're so powerful. Well, it's, thank you. Uh, and uh, they certainly can go to ebonalexander.com to learn a lot more. Or if they want to learn about the meditation, I would strongly urge sacredacoustics.com. Uh, and another link that I think would be of value to people, this has to do with the fact that during COVID pandemic, when all of our travel jobs were canceled, uh, Karen came up with a brilliant idea of, of every two weeks, we would do a webinar where we'd interview one of those uh, professionals that we might have met on the trail, but weren't because we weren't traveling. So other global leaders in the science of consciousness, oh, wow. uh, other um, experiencers. So it's a very rich repertoire of interviews we've done available for free to everyone at unitedinhopeandhealing.com. That's the best place to get access to it. Wow. What such gifts you've given us today that's so exciting. And uh, well, I hope people will take full advantage of this. Well, it's important because our world is actually uh, spiraling the drain because of the misleading thinking of materialist science and that false sense of separation and where that leads egos and profit motive and corporate greed, uh, addiction to fossil fuels, warfare, violence. Every bit of that is a symptom of, of that false sense of separation, as opposed to the deepest lesson from NDEs of the togetherness, that we're all in this together, that we need to take care of each other. And that lesson is overdue for being stressed to this world at large. That's why this is so important to be talking about this now. And I'm glad you're doing your part to get this message out to the world at large. We need it to take responsibility for our world, for our health, for our relationships, for our loving each other. That is the order of the day. Wow. Thank you. Just thank you so much. This is just a, uh, wonderful. And I can't wait to have it published so everybody can listen and, and go to all the, the links that you gave us and, and just learn more. This is just fabulous. I, I believe very much in, in giving things to people. I know with, with my uh, Grief and Happiness Alliance, we have a nonprofit that goes along with it so right. that nobody has to pay because they, I think everybody deserves to have comfort and, and learn as much as they can. Well, I agree. And that's why we've given so much of this away, as much as we can, to get it out to this world. And of course, with COVID, with the economic collapse, with the opioid crisis exploding out of control, uh, warfare and violence, this world is badly in need of this beautiful message to help people who are bereaved, help people through grief, uh, it can be very reassuring. We do a tremendous amount of work with helping parents heal, uh, to help parents who have lost children uh, and other bereavement groups, because this uh, broader understanding of consciousness and the modern science of consciousness can be very refreshing and liberating to people who are facing the pain and darkness of having lost a loved one who has left the physical plane. And that's one of the main reasons we do all this work is to help bring comfort and solace to this world at large. Well, I know it provided that for me when your book first came out and I read it. And I'm certainly going to read more now that I know all these resources. So good. Good. And well, that's great. Well, thanks for getting this out to the world. 
Oh, you're, it's my pleasure. And thank you so much for saying yes to being here today because it, it's going to mean a lot to so many people. And I, I really sincerely appreciate that. Well, good. Just uh, keep us posted on when it's going to come out uh, okay. and we'll help get it out to our social media and all that kind of thing. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay, Emily, well, thank you. It's great talking with you and uh, we'll see you soon. Okay. Aloha. Aloha. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.